in the film, we're, kind of, we're covering three different main aspects of the Airstream travel trailer. The first one is the aluminum aspect, and that's a placeholder for the actual design, the object itself, the actual trailer itself from the design and the engineering. So we've got Aluma, and then we've got Nation. And the Nation is the people. And we did not know about this huge subculture. Some people refer to it as a cult around the Airstream travel trailers. And the third one is we believe that those who partake, those who sign up for the cult and really get into Airstreaming, there's an illumination, I.O., a thing that happens where people are just magically almost taken away to another place. So there you have it. Aluminum, nation, and illumination. There's just this allure for, for many different people, for many different reasons, to Airstream, but it's this timeless design. Everyone knows that there's this, when you see that silver bullet driving by, everyone knows it's an Airstream. But there was also way back gosh, in the 90s, there, there were a couple of people we knew who, it was cool factor, they just lived on in their Airstream. So there was already a, a group of devotees or followers quite independent from the people who are in a wholly different world, which are all the followers of Wally Byam. And these are all people who are Airstreamers who regularly get together. Welcome to St. Louis in Tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston, where we size up current and historic events involving people, places, and things in areas such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. Our weekly podcast originates from and connects the Gateway City to our country's current cultural fabric and lives. Eric Ricker, who is the director of Illumination is on the line with us. He's from St. Louis. He had a grandmother who took him to countless films, which is why he now is involved in the film industry. He's graduated from Indiana University with a BA in English Literature. There's another English Literature person. It's just amazing. And a minor in theater. Spent years in California with the California Rep and the Utah Shakespearean Festival. Wow. Went to L.A. He worked with notable talents such as Jerry Seinfeld and Alec Baldwin as a film and television production participated as a percussionist at Coachella, the festival. He has this consultation firm now called Artistic Designs Unlimited, and this film is is part of the St. Louis International Film Festival, and it's going to be shown November the 21st. That's this Sunday at 4 p.m. at the Tivoli. Wow. So welcome to St. Louis in Tune, Eric. Thank you. Great to be here. Tell us a little bit about this film, and I'm... I'm really captivated by it, especially by the title and how you have titled previous films, because you've done a couple others, and we'll get into that. But this one is Illumination, and it's about Airstream trailers. And as I mentioned prior to the show, our neighbor, he just he and his wife just got one. They've, they've spent 20 trips doing it, and they love it. They absolutely love it. What is it about Airstream trailers and, and people? Oh, I think there's a lot to it. The first one, for just for me, is they just look so incredible. They're incredibly designed. For those who don't, not everybody does know Airstream. For those who don't know, they are the silver-looking bullets that are out on the highways. I think a lot of the newer generations know them as food trucks because they are used for uh-huh. food trucks and, and mobile retailing. But this the Airstream Travel Trailer goes all the way back. The company was actually founded in 1931. Wow. So I'll put 
the history on pause and go to the name of the film. And so there's three, we have, in the film, we're, kind of, we're covering three different main aspects of the Airstream travel trailer and its history. The first one is the aluminum aspect, and that's a placeholder for the actual design, the object itself, the actual trailer itself, from the design and the engineering. Then there is the nation. So we've got Aluma, and then we've got nation. And the nation is the people. And we did not know about this huge subculture. Some people refer to it as a cult around the Airstream travel trailer. So that's the second aspect of the film's title. And then the third one is we believe that those who partake, those who sign up for the cult and really get into Airstreaming, there's an illumination, I.O., a thing that happens where people are just magically almost taken away to another place. I think it has to do with um, connection to a community and also having, like, partaking in community in the outdoors with a greater sense of connection to the natural environment. So there you have it, aluminum, nation, and illumination. And you delve into all three of those areas in the film, don't you? Definitely. That those are yeah. That's pretty much I think the film in a nutshell. Now, describe a little bit about how long this process has taken, because I know that you've got a variety of uh, different scenes that you've have talked to people as they're pulling their trailers around. And the matter of fact, folks, if you go to illuminationmovie.com, you can catch some more of this information also on the St. Louis International Film Festival's website. Describe a little bit about how you filmed this, and I know this is your second one, your uh, visual, uh, your documentary from Visual Acoustics, which I love the name of that one, too. That's a whole other conversation, which we need to have sometime. But describe how you went about getting all of these uh, interviews that you did. Sure. My producing partner, Lisa Hughes, who is also a St. Louis, former St. Louisan. She was born and raised in St. Louis. She, it was the, the whole idea... The idea to do a documentary on Airstream was her idea, and she is related to Peter Orthline. So there, and the Orthlines are from St. Louis also, a known St. Louis family. And Peter, the, the parent company for Airstream is Thor, T-H-O-R. Peter Orthline is the O-R in Thor. Really? And Lisa came up with the idea, and... She called me one day, this was in May of 2013, and said, hey, what about doing a documentary on Airstream travel trailers? It would be the perfect follow-up to visual acoustics, which we can talk about. And I was an immediate yes. And so Peter basically introduced us to Airstream, to the, the president, Bob Wheeler, and we got on the phone with Bob, and Peter also connected us to the former president and CEO of Airstream, Dickie Regal. And so with these two phone conversations, we, we took down a bunch of notes, like who do we need to talk to? And our journey, set out on our journey after those two conversations, our first shoot being, we went to Jackson Center, Ohio, and took a peek at the factory and talked to a lot of folks there at Airstream Corporate. Wow. Yeah, the factory would be really cool. Oh, yeah. See how those things are made? I love it. Yeah. It's incredible. It was a visual. I spent an entire day 
just shooting the factory. Mm. I've actually shot the factory two days. I went back a second time and just so you could throw the camera up into the air and it would come back with amazing footage. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's really amazing. And mm. since then, I don't know the actual square footage, but I'm pretty certain that. Since we shot in the factory back in 2013 and I think 2015, I'm pretty sure, not 100%, but they have over doubled the square footage of the factory in order to meet the demand for these trailers. Wow. These were different. And I'm reading from your website here. It says, in 1929, Airstream founder, and correct me if I mispronounce his name, Wally Byam. Yes. He, he built his first travel trailer in his backyard. Now, do you know why he used aluminum? Obviously, it's lighter. Maybe he had access to it. And that's the first question. And the second question that piggybacks off that is these things, they last a long time. You can get an older model, just renovate the inside and modernize it, and you're boom, you're ready to roll. Good to go. Yeah, definitely. That's what's happened. And these aluminum shells can, if they're properly maintained, they can last multiple lifetimes. Mm -hmm. And vintage Airstream restoration is a thriving cottage industry. We interviewed a number of different vintage restorationists across the country. So that is definitely a thing. And there's a lot of folks, too, who most people end up doing some type of restoration work themselves. It might be something minimal, maybe just to get it back so that it's roadworthy and get it out there, or they might do a complete renovation where they strip it down to just the shell and then rebuild the interior themselves. So that's, yeah, so there's that part. But going back to Wally Byam, so yes, he did, he built the first, his first trailer in his backyard of his California home in 1929, but that one was okay. wood and masonite, and that was a teardrop-shaped trailer. Those are cool also. And, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, and it was, so he did, this is all in the movie, he did this, he had a love for the outdoors, we can't, we go into his background in the film, but he did this to create a more comfortable space for his reluctant, she wasn't so thrilled about camping with him, tent camping, so he built, had an idea, and he built it, you know, he built her a, a trailer, so like, a, basically a covered platform where she would be more comfortable, and that was the inspiration for him to do his first trailer and people took notice of it and started asking him so he started selling the plans and then that kind of rolled into him opening up this trailer business and then in terms of the aluminum shell that's a whole other story but i he ended up doing his first aluminum trailer in 1936 it was the airstream clipper wow that's crazy. That's wonderful. That's absolutely crazy. Oh. Yeah. You see these things driving up and yeah. down the road. Yeah, obviously not now, but you, sometimes you'll see them, but mainly in the summertime, and they're easy to pull. Yeah. So it was all started because of his wife, because she didn't want to <laughs> sleep in a tent. <laughs> that's, there we go. That's the spark that got the whole thing started. That's okay. great. It's a wonderful story. There's modern conveniences in them now. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. What surprised you? The most as you're filming this and putting this together, getting it edited and producing and directing it. Oh, there, there's a number of there were a number of surprises. I would say in terms of the content, 
and just the experience of getting out there and diving into the Airstream world, I had no clue that I would end up, number one, being welcomed by just a community that really welcomes anyone who wants to dive in and get started with open arms hmm. and just the level of support that's out there. Airstreamers help Airstreamers. And if you're driving an Airstream and you're driving down the road, you blink your lights at another Airstream and you're passing by. And if you're pulled over to the road, guaranteed that an Airstreamer, if they're out there, they will stop and see, check, make sure that you're okay. So is it, um, it's a, a little, it's, it, it's a little different than an RV owner as an Airstream owner. There's a, there's, do you, do you see a difference in the two? I know there's a number of different brands of RVs that have close knit community. You know, it's, I don't think it's unique to just the Airstream community. Mm-hmm. Good way to put it. A community. Never thought of them as a community, but it's true. Yeah, they are. It's like the if you own motorcycle yeah. and certain brands of motorcycles. Harley or a, right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. I want yeah. you to briefly well, get into because I know our time's running out. I know we have to let you go. Can you briefly talk about visual acoustics and Julia Schulman and your relationship and what that has meant to you? And I, I just I really didn't know about him. And I saw some of the stuff that you had done. I was like, holy smokes, this guy's really good. Oh, Julius was, I think, he's definitely the world's most famous architectural photographer. Um, He's best known for a black and white photograph of two women sitting in a glass box house overlooking the L.A. Basin at night. That was shot in 1960, and that is the Stahl House, or better known as the Case Study House Number 22. And that photograph is listed as, Time magazines, it's in the top 100 most influential photographs of all time. Wow, wow. And just to give you a quick blurb on Julius, he was, he was born in 1910 on the East Coast, but he moved to the, the burgeoning city of, if you want to call it that, of Los Angeles at the time in 1920, and pretty much documented the city over the years but really with a focus on modern architecture. And there are a number of books on, in terms of my relationship with him, he reminded me, when I met him, he reminded me of my maternal grandfather, who was born in 1905, so same era there. And I became friends with him, and two years after I met him, I proposed the idea of doing a documentary on him and his entire archive, which now resides at the the Getty Research Institute, and made this movie. I think that was a a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and you were at the right place at the right time, and what a wonderful thing to do for him, and really to do for everybody else, to to show those things. I, I love what you're doing with these documentaries, and folks, if you want to see this Illumination, it's screening Sunday, November 21st at the Tivoli at 4 p.m., or you can go to the IlluminationMovie.com, get some more information, or you can go to CinemaSTL.org, CinemaSTL, excuse me, CinemaStLouis.org, and get more information about how you can see this particular documentary. I appreciate it. Sorry we have to let you go, but I know you're very busy. You have other things you got going on. Eric, maybe another time we can talk a little bit more in depth about this. I'd love to. Oh, I would love to do that and really appreciate the opportunity. You see these iconic things that we grew up with that have sustained through time, Harley-Davidson motorcycles or the Indian motorcycles or Airstream trailers, things like that. Lisa, are you there? 
Yes, I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's great. We just finished talking to Eric. Really excited to have you with us. Yeah, we are, because we've been talking about Illumination. What role did you play in the movie Illumination? And Eric told us it was your brainchild, and you approached him. But walk us through that conversation you had. Oh, oh, I'm sure he told you that we worked on another film together called Visual Acoustics, The Modernism of Julia Shulman. Yes. And we wanted to stay in the design world to the extent possible. But, and we went through a series of ideas that we tossed because they weren't, they just didn't work. But it was a serendipitous conversation with a family member that reminded me about a cousin attached to Airstream and, that, and, and the light went off and I said, oh my gosh, that's the perfect. So I called Eric right away and said, what do you think about Airstream? And he was like, yes. So we just went through the motions of making it happen. And so I was the producer Eric was the director, of course, he told you all that. He did everything. He was the director. He, he did some of the writing. I helped a little bit with the writing. I went on the initial shoots with him. I got sidelined with what turned out to be Lyme disease. So poor Eric was stuck for a long time by himself. But then we circled back, and we finished up, I don't know, what would you say, Eric? Uh, finished up the last of it. Eric was editing in Austin, and I was in Washington. And we spoke regularly, and we, I worked with him on the script for the film, writing the script, which always is, takes a while. And now we're just at the finish line, and we're really excited that we're able to go to some of these uh, festivals, because just my being sidelined, you know, caused a delay in the film, which caused it to be ready to go just as COVID hit, and everything shut down. So... No, no film festivals, no nothing. Yeah, and the uh, St. Louis International Film Festival, they, they tried to modify and, and actually did a nice job going online and now present uh, a lot of these films online and give you the opportunity to see them, right. which is great. It's great. Now we, we did do some virtual screenings already and we we were originally accepted at the Newport Beach Film Festival and that was to be our premiere screening. And obviously, with COVID, it kept getting delayed. So what was supposed to be April 2020 became October 2021. But at some point, towards the fall of 2020, they offered us the opportunity to uh, screen, but they was a hastily thrown together virtual festival, and they, it was last minute. And the director of the festival said, if I were you, I would wait till April, and then we're really going to have a full-fledged festival, and we'll have media, and et cetera, et cetera. But, of course, then April came, and they were still delayed. But we did finally show in screen in October. And in the meanwhile, Eric and I were doing some distribution study with a distribution expert because all the filmmakers like us are in the same boat because the whole landscape of film distribution changed right. because of COVID. And so we studied with this guy. We got hit, did a one-on-one with him, and he loved the film, et cetera. So we learned that one of the things we could do while waiting for a festival or the next step was do some private virtual screening. So that was one way to start getting the film out. And to groups who were like-minded or interested in the topic, had some kind of affiliation. And so that at least got us going. And then ironically through that, 
and through this Zoom call we were on, we connected with the guy from the Detroit Film Festival. So then he became our, Free is the Detroit Free Press Film Festival. That became our premier screening, and it, so it came in advance of, Cal, of, of, of Newport Beach. But everybody has to find new little ways to try and get the film out because it's just the traditional model isn't there. And, and I think you guys have done a great job with that. And sometimes, well, this is nothing new to, to you or anybody else. Timing is everything, especially in, oh, yeah. in filmmaking and putting out a, a new music record or something like that, especially if you want to try these award shows, etc., like that. And I think your timing, I think COVID maybe, and your Lyme disease, not but dismissing it, that, I, really helped out. Yes. Ironically, that's we all of a sudden the relevance of the film became obvious in this post-pandemic and during pandemic world, where everyone wanted just to get off living, live off the grid, get out of the cities, wherever big cities. And uh, suddenly, the, I'm sure Eric told you that Airstream sales soared. Right. They have a back backlog of, and it's ironic that what hurt us in one sense, which was the delay helped us in another sense, which is suddenly it became more timely. So I think we're, we're grateful for that. I think it's just great. And for folks, I want to remind you, you can see it November 21st. That's this Sunday at 4 p.m. at the Tivoli Illumination. Also, you can go to cinemastlouis.org, who's producer on this particular film. And Lisa, describe your company, uh, Out of the Box Productions, and the things that you've done on your own. Out of the Box, I really formed Out of the Box Right before Eric and I started working on the Julia Schulman film, Visual Acoustics, I had done a couple of projects independent of that in Washington, specific, one specific to Washington, D.C., which was about Frank Gehry, the noted architect, who was doing a sort of a Bilbao-esque addition to the Corcoran Gallery of Art. And it was a big celebration for Washington to get a noted architect like Frank Gehry to do something, and it was a really important building. And it was the first of, kind of the first of its kind that Washington embraced modern architecture. So we were speeding along on that film, and I was working with two other people then, and we got our teaser piece together, and they loved it, and they wanted to have it on a virtual, I mean, a, a, literally a screening continuously in the main space of the Corcoran. And then 9-11... 9-11 happened, and they lost all their funding. The big funders were for the project were some ALL guys. and So that, that went out the window. And the next project I worked on was completely different. It was the same colleagues from the previous film. And it was about an artist named Abbott Thayer, who was, a, say, a contemporary of John Singer Sargent. And one of the, the people who was involved with the film spent time in, the, in New Hampshire where he lived. He was considered the father of camouflage, but he had such an eccentric life, and he did brilliant portrait paintings to, as a bread and butter, but he wrote a book about the protective coloration of animals, which led to his you know, theories on camouflage, mm. which led him to try and explain why you would want to paint your, you know, your warships a certain way. So he was a really interesting character. So that was pretty out of the box. And then I had wanted to do a film about Southern California modernism. But my, my husband, who's an architect, and I had lived in uh, Los Angeles for about five years and then continued to go regularly. And he, he was on the board of the architecture school he was involved with. So we had the opportunity to renovate a Neutra house. Neutra is 
you know, a very well-known Southern California modernist architect. And in that process, when we were finished, Julius, was, of course, he was still alive then, Julius photographed the house for us. And we, and then he came to Washington, and I set up an interview with him. He was doing, a, there was a show, a building museum, and I asked if I could film him at the beginning of a project that I had hoped would be about Southern California modernism. And while he was in Washington, his daughter said, you really ought to talk to this guy, Eric Ripper. He's, he's, he's been trying to do a film about my father. You two might, you know, want to meet. So I, I ended up calling Eric. It turned out, ironically, we were both from St. Louis. We've known one another. And we literally met for the first time in St. Louis, no pun intended, and decided to join forces because we each had a similar vision of where we wanted to go. But he had already started and had a lot of filming under his belt. So that's how that project got. I became involved with Eric, and then we continued on to finish the project. No, I can't. And it was just a total small world that the two of us were it's a totally small world as the two of us were from St. Louis, but of course they'd never known one another. Yeah, and, and a uh, third and person, uh, Allison Light, another St. Louisan involved with the film. It's just this like this whole St. Louis connection here. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm the only one, though. Eric and I don't live in St. Louis now, but Allison does, and, and Eric's whole family is there, so he comes off, and, and I don't come as often as I used to, but uh, it's just ironic. There's a little triad of St. Louisans. I, I think that's great that you guys got together to do that. Now, you mentioned something when you first started talking to us, that you have this, my words now, this affinity for artistic or kinds of um, historical, architectural, or art kinds of things. Because when I look at the things that you just talked about, you have uh, Julius Schulman, you have Abbott Thayer, you have now Wally Byam. What, what is that? that you find interesting that you think you need to really focus on like that? I think that the, the process of doing the Julius Schulman film was very fulfilling for Eric and me. And because my husband, actually my ex-husband now, is an architect, I was steeped in that world already. And especially living in, in Los Angeles, where you're surrounded by incredible Southern California modernism. So that was the launching pad for the Julius Schulman film. But we just realized we both really enjoyed working in the design world and wanted a project that had some connection in one way or another. And the Airstream idea, which was serendipitously came to mind, there is just a, a certain kind of, I call it a zeitgeist about Airstream. There's just this allure to, for, for many different people, for many different reasons, to Airstream, but it's this timeless design. Everyone knows that there's this, when you see that, silver bullet driving by. Everyone knows it's an airstream. But there was also, way back, gosh, in the 90s, there, there were a couple of people we knew who, it was cool sector, they just lived on in their airstream on the campus of the architectural school. So there was already a, a group of devotees or followers quite independent from the people who are in a wholly different world, which are all the followers of Wally Byam. And I'm sure Eric told you there's something called the Wally Byam Caravan Club International, which was formed. And these are all people who are airstreamers who regularly get together. They go on. And, of course, I'm sure uh, Eric told you the big, they, they called them caravans at the, at the beginning of the Wally Byam Caravan Club. And they, they went from Cape Town to Cairo. They went to Europe, literally. So we have some great footage in the film of, of some of those 
but the Wally Byam Caravan Club still exists, and wow. these people get together. There's something called Aluma Palooza, which takes <laughs> place in Jackson, Ohio. <laughs> but it's true. That's hilarious. In Jackson Center, Ohio, which is where Airstream headquarters is, Eric and I, we went, we filmed there, because, and you can't believe how many people gathered, and they all love, know each other, and they have a great time, and they have different activities, and, and, and then everybody can wander around and look at everybody else's Airstream. We had another interesting opportunity to film in Palm Springs during Modernism Week. They had a vintage trailer show. So they weren't just Airstream, like most of them were. And it was in a parking lot in downtown Palm Springs, and it was a, a, like a three-day event. An amazing number of people came, and everybody, it was just like going on a house tour. Everybody just wanted to see everybody else's Airstream and what they'd done with it and how they'd done it. And these people go to great lengths at night. They had all these white and flamingos out front. The parking lot was beautiful the way it was done. So there's that's part of the zeitgeist. And it's, there's just so many angles to the appeal of Airstream, for whether it's wanderlust or it's just I want to live in an Airstream or I like to have my cupcake store in an Airstream. It, it could be suddenly it's a lot of things to a lot of people. It's become a thing. It was a thing, but it's yeah, become more of a thing. Yeah. So were you captivated, um, and do you want to become an Airstreamer? Yes, I do. <laughs> I wanted one very badly. And there was one of the people that was in, in Palm Springs. He had two vintage Airstreams, which he was had renovated. And he did, and, and he sells them, or he'll do private commissions. And they were the big draw because they were so beautiful. And one of them was for sale. And I thought, oh, gosh. And at that time, the price was better. But I lived in an apartment in downtown D.C. I had nowhere to put it. So that <laughs> yeah. was that. But... Okay, yes. Now, I know a lot of the actors and actresses out in Hollywood, don't they use those for their dressing rooms? Yeah, and the obvious one who everyone knows about is Matthew McConaughey. He lived in one in Malibu for a long time. He still has a couple. So he uses one as an office. He was the most well-known. No, that's interesting. Oh, yeah. He still, he still has them. And, they, and I think he takes with his kids in them. There are, I just sent an article to Eric the other day for anybody who watches the show on NBC, This Is Us. The actor, Milo Ventimiglia, he bought he bought an Airstream during COVID and he just spent the year traveling across country. And so now he's a total Airstreamer. That's just the magic of Airstream that you get bitten by the bug. So briefly, what's on the docket for you, Lisa, after this production gets done and the uh, screenings and everything do you have something that you're looking to produce and or direct coming uh, up yeah we both we're doing with some different projects we are it's not gelled yet so we're not 100 percent sure what it's going to be we have each of us have some different ideas eric's writing something that's not really a documentary but it's in the architectural world so to be determined we just want to get through this right now it's been a long road and we're happy to be at the finish line and we just want to you know get through it, and then move on. Go to org, or you can go to IlluminationMovie.com. We appreciate you listening to this episode of St. Louis In Tune. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out our website, stlintune.com. That's stlintune.com. 
St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. For St. Louis in Tune, I'm Arnold Strickland.